0: Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Uh, as we look at this section of Scripture, um, I love preaching these things because it makes you sound like a great preacher. Uh, because some of you look at this and you go, man, Pastor, th- those are good words that you shared. and uh, like, You make it sound like I wrote it or I made this up in my mind. Well, I did not. It's uh, right there in the Scriptures. And so I I rejoice that I get to share these great words with you. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you from Romans chapter 8. I'll read to you the first 11 verses, but today we're only going to do the first four. um, And we're going to kind of hit that in the weeks to come. So this is part one. Uh, Listen to this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If The spirit of him uh, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. God, we ask your blessing on, on this time as we look to your word. We ask that you would help us to think clearly about this life and the life that you've given inside your son. I pray for those who may not have trusted in you, uh, are clinging to this fleshly life. I I ask that even now that you would work in their heart, your spirit would draw them to yourself, that they might know uh, their forgiveness that's only found in Jesus. God, we thank you in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Is very important what I'm going to say right now. Did everybody notice the two big fans that we put up this week? This week, wait. If there's more, if we we'll get more. You know, right? If we have to, you know, global hotting or cooling or warming or whatever it is, well, we'll just keep putting fans in until the Lord returns. Okay, good. Um, I want to talk to you this morning. I want to remind you. So this morning. Uh, we're going to tackle chapter 8, just part of chapter 8. And I want to tell you, there is gold, there is gold for you in chapter 8. Uh, I want you to encourage you to come in the weeks to come. Uh, there's so much good stuff in these chapters. I don't know how long it's going to take us, but you're not going to want to miss it. And some of you are nervous because you, you know some of the things that are in chapter 8. Don't be nervous about the Word of God. Love the Word of God. And let him speak to you and correct any crazy ideas that we have uh, as we look to God's word, okay? But it starts out with a bang, with a bang. I I know some of you were here last week. And uh, if you were here last week, I just want to just kind of encapsulate. And really, it's not just last week uh, that is the basis for what we're going to talk about this week. But it's all of what he's been sharing with us in the book of Romans. And it's been all about... Uh, really our sinfulness, our sinfulness, and the idea that we need to be righteous, but we're not righteous, and so he justifies us, he justifies us, he makes us righteous, and then uh, last week we looked at, in chapter 7, we, uh, we, we looked at this very important uh, idea and passage, uh, and and the reason it's so important, I think that it's important because Paul is speaking in the present tense that he is talking about his own life, his own struggle with sin. And if the Apostle Paul can struggle with sin and struggle with doing the things that he doesn't want to do and, and the things that he wants to do, he doesn't do. And he struggles with that. But he struggles with going back to dealing in the flesh but instead uh, wanting to do what is right in the spirit and God's work in him, in his mind. But he concludes in uh, chapter 7, uh, verse 24, he says this, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, That God's plan, what? How can one be saved from the person they are, the fleshly person? How can you be saved from your sins but also have victory in this life as a believer? How can that happen? There's only one way through the plan of God, the plan of God worked out in his son, Jesus. Um. It's always a blessing. We sang some very simple, important songs today. I don't know if you got that. Give me Jesus, right? You know, you you think about it, and uh, I think about the the many ways that we seek to get through life, and you just say, oh, I I need food. I need food, you know. I'm depressed, I need food. I had a hard day, I need wine. I, I need to go shopping, or I need to, go on Amazon and go clicking, right? (laughs) Clicking, and it'll just magically show up. Let's hear it for the FedEx and the UPS guys, right? Um, Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. And for the problems of this life, the difficulties that we have, give me Jesus. For the struggles that we're we're struggling with and the, the depressing things of this life, give me Jesus, and so as, as the Apostle Paul, as he concluded our time last week, he says there's a place, a person that should be thanked, and it's God because his plan was his son Jesus. And so as we struggle in this life, he says, So then uh, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin, that I'll always have that until he takes me home. And so uh, we come to chapter 8, and uh, he lays out for us in verse 1 such an important verse for us, such an important one. Um, He he says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's close in a word of prayer. I I told Brandon I should just read that and just sit down. You know, there's more to say, and a pastor can never just sit read and sit down. But I, I want to tell you, there—that's it, right there. There it is. Uh, he he says now. He says now, and I, I I want you to get this. This is a present reality. It's not something that's going to happen later. It it does come to fulfillment later. But uh, if you've trusted in Christ, it's now a present reality. Paul is not talking about the date in the future when this will happen. But he's looking at his life and the lives of those who have trusted in Christ. And he says, therefore is now present reality. This is what's true right now. And, and, and really, he's, because he says, therefore, he's pointing back to everything that he's already talked about. And what has he talked about? We're sinners. What else? What else? Uh, God expects the righteous. He expects us to be righteous. Well, we can't be righteous. Well, how does he do that? He does the justification that can only come, uh, that he's the only one that could have made us right. And, and so he's saying, in view of all that is proceeding, well, all that I've already said in the book of Romans, now there's a present reality Uh, that is true. He says condemnation. Now, what is condemnation? Um, This particular word, this particular usage of this word, is only three times in the Bible, all used by Paul in the book of Romans. And this word condemnation is a guilty verdict, right? But it's not just the verdict itself. It really is highlighting the penalty, the penalty. Now, I want you to get this because I think it's it's impactful if we really understand what this word means. Um, most of us don't like to be guilty. We don't like to be guilty. We don't like to be caught, if you will. We don't like to think of ourselves as not righteous. Um, I I think it's so... Uh, Funny that even uh, little children understand this uh, from the earliest days, where they're doing something wrong and you roll into the room and they jump like that, right? Uh, Or uh, you you know, I I remember watching one of my uh, one of kids of our family, not my immediate family, but the extended, and the little guy was uh, in a corner with his back turned towards everybody, eating a bag of chips that he had snuck. And, And you think about that, and you go, what? Nobody told him how to do that. But that feeling of guilt is a big deal. And and it's the feeling, right? It's knowing that you are wrong. You are wrong. That's a huge deal. And, you know, you you think about it. There's condemnation. No one has to say it to you. You just know that you've done wrong. You know it. But there's also uh, that feeling of being caught, right? Of the idea of somebody seeing you do something wrong and and pointing it out and saying you are guilty and then reminding you of your guilt. That's tough too, right? But wait, there's more. What is condemnation in this passage? It's really not just focusing on being guilty. It's the verdict of being guilty but not just the verdict, but also the penalty, the penalty. I want you to get this. Why, um, you know, when someone finds themselves to be guilty, they don't like being wrong, for one, but knowing that there's a penalty and that they will have to pay it, that really puts teeth into it, doesn't it? And you, as you look at the penalty, um, if you've ever been to a court, uh, in court, and some of you do it for a living, uh, either through the law system or uh, through being a correctional officer or a police officer, you, you go into court and you've seen that. Correctional officer is interesting because most of the time they see the penalty side more than the court side, right? But, but, but as, you, as you think about this, there's this you know there 's this trial there 's accusation of guilt, and then there's finally the verdict, but the verdict is guilty, but then there 's also a sentencing right and as they sentence they're they 're hauled off to go do the time or pay the penalty for what they were guilty of i 'm belaboring this because you, you think about this in terms of our our life, most of us, we get hung up on just the feelings of being guilty. But I, I want to tell you that in this passage, it's far more than that, far greater a condemnation. It's the penalty. And so I, I, want, I want you to think right now, what is the penalty for your sin? What is the penalty for your sin? And, and when I say sin, I'm talking about your pride i 'm talking about the idea of unkind words that come out against your spouse or against your kids. I 'm talking about selfishness that happens in your home and in your heart. i 'm talking about the thoughts of your mind. But most of the sins that I just you, we see is no big deal, but I, I want you to ask, what are the penalties of those sins? What is the penalty of being a sinner? Can I show it to you? Uh, I, I want you to stay in verse uh, chapter 7. Uh, Mr. Warwick, would you pull up chapter 7 uh, verses 24 and 25? Um, but, but I want to I go quickly. I, I want to just say this same concept is in chapter 7 verses 5, 10, 13 okay and then in verse 24 24 and 25 I want you to see it again and and I want to tell you it's in the chapter 8 farther than we go but it's also throughout the book of Romans throughout the scriptures what is the penalty of death in verse 24 it says wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death this body of death if you look back to those other verses and the farther verses, the, the sin that we know that we've committed, the penalty of it is death. Now in our country, uh, when you talk about the death penalty, what do we reserve that for? Very rare cases, right? Very rare cases. And, and, and in the, most cases, for nothing, right? We, there's, there's nothing that justifies in most Americans' minds the death penalty. And, and I'm not here to talk about the death penalty in our culture or not. It doesn't really matter. But I, I want to tell you, this is not about what we think is best down here. But how does a holy God think about the sins committed against him? And I'll just tell you, as you look at the scripture, you're going to see it over and over again. God says, "The penalty of sin once convicted, once guilty of sin, is death. It's a death penalty." And you say, "Well, what is that? Well, it's spiritual death, but it's also the idea of physical death as well. That there is death that comes there's nothing but death that comes out of sin. And you say, "Wow, that's a big deal. It is a big deal. It's huge. And some of you are wondering right now how I could turn this great message into such a depressing one, right? Um, Some of you are wondering, like, what's the good part? Are you going to get to the good part? Um, This word condemnation, that's what it means. It means that you're condemned, guilty, the verdict has been read, but also the penalty has been laid out, and it was significant, right? When when you're in a court and, and, you know, they get... Time served in jail and let let, let go. They go, oh, it's just a slap on the wrist, right? Or maybe it's greater than you thought. And you say, wow, they really threw the book at them. I want to tell you that nobody, nobody, there's not a single person that isn't guilty of sin. The verdict has been read and the penalty has been laid out. And it's all the death penalty. All the death penalty. You, You might be arguing right in your mind. Well, I haven't been that bad. Yes, you have. Maybe not to me, maybe not to you, but to God, yes. Condemned. You might ask the question, well, well am I guilty? And, and, and as you think about being guilty, a lot of times, where do we go for our answers to that? A court of our peers, right? A, judge, a jury, you know, we go to the jury, right? And you say, well, what do you mean? You go to your friends, and you say, well, you know, I'm kind of a mess. I'm kind of a hot mess. And some, sometimes we need to stop each other and go, well, you're not a hot mess. You're just a mess, right? <laughs> okay. You're more of a disaster than a mess, right? You know, and that's the so wretched man that I am, right? Disaster. But we go to our friends and, and what, what do we say amongst our friends? Oh, you're not that bad. Oh, I do that all the time. You do? Oh, great. So you're a mess and I'm a mess and we're all good because we're all messes. Or maybe you, you run to your mom or your grandma. Um, I, I want to tell you, grandmas, uh, uh, speak truth to your grandkids. And you just say it like this. I love you. I love you forever, forever. You're totally a disaster in this, right? You need to stop this. This is wrong in the eyes of God. I love you forever. Um, to be truthful to them. But, but sometimes we go to our, our parents or our, our grandparents or our siblings or our kids, and, and we want reassurance that we are not as guilty as we feel like we are. But I, I want to tell you that it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you think if you're guilty or not. You're guilty. And it doesn't matter what your peers or your parents or your grandparents or your kids think of you. It matters what God says of you, he his righteous judgment of you, his righteous picture of who you are, the only one that matters. And, and I want to say this too: uh, it doesn't matter what the school district says about you. It doesn't matter what our government says about you. It doesn't matter about wh- where the culture you fit into the culture. It doesn't matter if they accept you and they see you're guilty or good or bad. It doesn't matter doesn't matter the only one there's a singular one that matters and it's God and what does he say verse 8 look down at or chapter 8 verse 1 look down at it this is what God wants to tell you this morning if you're in Christ Jesus he says this there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus none none there's no condemnation and you say how can that be and i want to tell you that's the, that's the grace of it all right how can that be paul just said what a wretched man that i am what a disaster i am uh, I, the things that i, I don 't want to do, I do, and the things that I should do i don 't do and I think and i 'm a mess, and I, i've failed over and over again, not as an unbeliever, I did that too, but as a believer, I have failed over and over again it 's interesting that Paul uh, had people killed he killed Christians prior to faith, and it doesn 't say that he continued killing Christians after like uh, you know, I blew it today, I sinned, I killed a few more, you know. Uh, it doesn't say that. But Paul knew his own heart. He'd heard the thoughts that had gone through his mind. He, he knew the words that he had spoken, the greed and the, the selfishness and pride of his own heart. And so he knew, oh, wretched man that I am. And what does God say to Paul and to you and to me? There's no condemnation. Now, right now, there's no condemnation. This is not a blanket statement. This is not a blanket statement for everyone. I I, I want you to hear it like that. I I want you to see what the scripture says and, and really sort it through. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, if you have a relationship with him today, if you trusted in him, there's been a time where you've uh, acknowledged your sin before him and that he has saved your soul. It's, there's no condemnation anymore. None. And you say, well, I've sinned after that time. It's been taken care of. Well, well what happens if I, I sin tomorrow? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I, I, you may struggle with this concept. Some of you may even struggle with it being so free, right? You say, ah, that doesn't seem to match up. It should be that God saves you, God saves you, and then you're perfect after that. And then you you you're you're good until you sin after that. And that's not what this passage teaches. It may seem logical in your own mind, but it's not. It's not. Why? Because you didn't earn your salvation in the rearview mirror, right? You didn't deserve it. You couldn't earn it. In a, what makes you think that you can now, right? To earn your salvation, to keep your salvation, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ, it's not the blanket statement for everyone, but those who have depended on the work of Christ and are in Christ. And are no longer in the flesh. No longer in the flesh. And I say no longer in the flesh. They're saved, right? It's not that you can't, um, even as he talked about in the previous passage, he's going to talk about again in this passage, that we still can walk in the flesh, though we are now saved. We are people that have been saved for, from our flesh. We'll come back to this. We Actually, we'll come back to it quite a few times in this chapter. But know this that there is no condemnation. And what what you should remember is this. What are the things that you've done? What are the things that you've done? What are the things that you feel guilty for? What are the failures that you've made before your family and to your family and and before God? And you know it's wrong. You know it's wrong. What are the the acts that you still do? The words that you still say? And, And you say, first of all, don't downplay them. Those are sins. What is the penalty for sin? Death, right? Every one of your sins. Penalty for your sins is death. The penalty for my sins is death. But because of Christ, because of the plan of God, there is now no condemnation. None. For that which you've done in the past, that which you have done presently, and that which happens in the future. Christ has taken care of it all. Verse 2, he, he continues to, to kind of work some of these things out. Um, he's going back really to a conversation and the law and the spirit and the flesh of the previous chapters. But he explains why there's been a verdict and it's you're not condemned. Why? How did this happen? Verse 2, as you look at verse 2, it says this. Um, for, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I, I know that sounds pretty confusing because he says the, the law, the law of the spirit of life. And then he says the law of sin and death. Well, um, how, how does this work itself out? First of all, the law of the spirit, uh, the law of the spirit uh, is, as you look at this and as you see in this passage, when he speaks of the Spirit, he's not talking about the human Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, a working out. And what does the Spirit of God do? This idea of law, uh, law is like a principle or a work of. And uh, he says this He says, the law of the Spirit of life, meaning the work of the Spirit is life. And what has he done? Set you free, set you free. Uh, From what? The law of sin and death. What is the work of sin in your life? What is the work of sin in my life? It's not good stuff, right? It works itself out in sin and death, right? Sin is a result of what's gone on in us, and death is that verdict and that penalty that comes after and so how does he do this? He sets us free, sets us free. And you can picture if it's helpful to you. And I think this is accurate. It's, it's the idea that you're, you're, you've been arrested and you're going to trial. And it doesn't matter what kind of lawyer you have because you're guilty, right? And the, the idea that everybody knows you're guilty, like the jury knows you're guilty, the judge knows you're guilty, and everybody knows that you're guilty. You know you're guilty. And, and the facts all point to your guilt. And so what happens? Well, uh, by some amazing uh, grace that, that has happened on the part of the judge, a plan that is outside of really the law itself, like there's, a, there's something different happening. Somebody else has taken care of the sins that you've committed somehow the verdict is no condemnation, none, and and that you are released to go. And and you can picture walking as a free man or a free woman uh, flinging open the doors of the courthouse and going, I'm free to go, I'm free to go. And, And it's no longer looking over your shoulder and going, well, what if they catch me again? It's been taken care of. It's done, it's over with. There's no condemnation, though you were a guilty man or woman. The law of the Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit, does this work in us that couldn't have been done, and we're set free, we're set free from the law of sin and death. Do you see it there again? Uh, the sin, the sin, what's the penalty? Death. It says it repetitiously over and over again. Sin and death are connected Sin is not a, a no big deal. It's a not, not a nothing burger. It's everything. It's death. And yet, even though it's extreme and severe and uh, the, the finality of, of our sin is death, we somehow have freedom and life because of Jesus. How do we do this? Verse 3. Um, now it comes to the how. He works it out a little bit more. Uh, we're not just free. He says, for God... Uh, sorry, look at, look at verse 3. I want, to, I want to read it to you. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And, uh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. This is a little bit complicated, but I want, want you to hang in there with me. First of all, he says that the law could not do. When he speaks of the law, he's probably talking about the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law. But I, I, I want to expand it out. Any kind of law, any kind of law, whether it be as simple as uh, love God, love your neighbor. Even so simple as that, um, the law could not do in you what only God could do in his son. You could say it could be more complex and man-made, like our law codes that we have that you know, or maybe some other country or maybe some great commune has these rules to live by. And, and, and they can make up rules. And I want to tell you, none of those rules, none of them. And, and it says here in verse 3, God did what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. And the law could not do. I, w- I want you to hear that. Uh, our own goodness, our fulfilling the rules, could never do could never fix what had been broken could never gain what what the Lord had for us it it could never be right why it says right in the middle there weakened by the flesh now Paul's gone over this over and over and over again is the law of God good or bad it's good it's good But as you read the effects of it, it sounds like it's bad, right? Because it made us more sinful and somehow it's shown us our sin over and over again. And this is another passage right here. He says, was the law too weak? No, weakened by the flesh. Whose flesh? Our flesh. Right? Because if you take the law, or any bunch of laws, but even God's law, and you take a fleshly person, can they accomplish What needs to be accomplished? The answer is no. No. It's not that they're as totally as sinful as they could be, but as they look, um, if you can think about it this way, um, it says thou shalt not murder. And you say, okay, good. you say, well, I haven't murdered every day, right? I just did one little murder, right? And what does one little murder make you? a murderer, right? A sinner, right? A lawbreaker. And this is the picture here. And so as we look at this, we says, for God has done something special, something magnificent, what the law weakened by man's sinful flesh could not do. So, so the law was unable to do what we needed to have done. God did what we needed to have done. How did he do it? Uh, If you look in the middle of verse three right there, by sending his own son, sending his own son. What does that sound like to you? What other verse does that sound like to you? John 3, 16, right? God sent his son. And this is how God is working out his plan, fixing what sin has caused in the individual, but also in all of creation. He sent his own son his own son, and there's this highlighting, he just didn't send his son, he sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. This is so hard for us to get, and and, and he's writing this important fine line of who Jesus is and was. Jesus, um, he came in the flesh, meaning that he had a real body, he had a real body that bled and and, and had all the Things that bodies do, right? He ate food. Uh, he bled. He, he, you know, he felt pain. Th- there was all these things that his human body did, but he was not fleshly, right? If you look at this, these sections here, it goes over and over again. And he says of us, you and me, he says, we're fleshly. What does that mean? Weakness. Weakness. Jesus had a fleshly body but he was not weak like us in the sense that uh, he was God came in the flesh. And so there's this there's this idea of him being in the flesh but sinless, fully God, fully man. And that's how he took our place. This was God's remedy for our um, sin problem. This is how he dealt with the sinner before he came to salvation but also the sinner... Um, that struggles after salvation. How does he, for God did what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. How did he do it? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That's a tough one right there, this this idea of likeness of sinful flesh, meaning that he wasn't sinful, but he had the likeness uh, of flesh, and as I described before, uh, similarities of sinful man. I want to point this out to you, and, and this is a tough part of this passage as well. Likeness of flesh, sinless, for sin, for sin. He sent it to do in, uh, to fight against sin where you and I couldn't do it. And he didn't go, he didn't come, like, I want you to get this too. He didn't come for his sin because he didn't have any sin. He didn't come for like the world's sin in a sense of like sin in the world. He came for our sin. Or if you're reading it for yourself, He came for my sin. He came for my sin. To deal with my sin. As you read this, you, you realize the riches that are found because of Jesus. The, the uh, amazing things that God did for us in His Son Jesus. His, his flesh was not weak uh, uh, like ours was. Uh, in the sense of uh, a sinful, always falling to sin. his uh, He was perfect, and yet what does it say he did uh, to sin, the sins that we have committed? He condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned the sin in our flesh. As you look at this, uh, this word condemned, we, we looked at it before in condemnation, but now it really turns to this idea of Um, looking at it as worthless, Uh, looking at it as never to be used again. If you can picture a condemned building and you say that house can never be lived in again, it's over, it's over. This is what he did to sin on our behalf. He did for the condemned, uh, what he did was he condemned their sin. And this is, as he look at this, he just keeps layering the riches of Jesus. Verse four: How did he, what did he do? How did this kind of come about? In order that, um, in order that, what he did in sin it changes in such a way. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. When you read righteous requirements, it means that. Uh, one is deemed, as as one looked at it, uh, your life, they say, you are righteous. You are righteous. You're perfect in the eyes of God. And you say, that sounds, it doesn't sound right. Well, be careful the way you read this. And it's hard to get in the language uh, because he's not saying, uh, as, as you look down once again at verse four, in order that, we might acquire or be or, or attain our own righteous requirement. He says, no, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Fulfilled in us gives this picture that it was done to us. It was to our person, right? It's not to someone else, but that it was done upon us. And it's, it's focusing on... the the plan of God worked out in his son Jesus in our lives in ways we couldn't have accomplished apart from him. I know that's hard to get, but I think it's important that we dwell on this. We did not meet the righteous requirements, and so he justified us. He justified us. He's going to come back to this word in the verses to come, justification. Remember what that word is? That word is, we are not righteous. We need to be righteous. There's no way to become righteous. So Jesus justifies us. He makes us righteous. And how does he do this? Uh, I love how he just keeps going on. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh. Why? Because the flesh couldn't do it. Our flesh was too weak. It failed at every, every point, at every time. It, it's not that we we're as sinful as we should be or could be, but that it showed its weakness all the time. How does this happen? But according to the Spirit. The Spirit, meaning according to God's work in us, His Spirit working in us. This is such good stuff, and I I know some of it is difficult to to get our head around and this and that, but I want to tell you, keep going over this, because it'll change your life. As we look through the riches of of chapter 8, and like I said, it could go on for a while, but I want us to get this. I want to give you three things, just kind of summary thoughts as we conclude our time. First of all, the guilty verdict and the death penalty are no longer Us. They're no longer for us. And I want to say, and forevermore. And forevermore. Um, You you might be nervous at the days ahead. There's reasons, right? You you might see challenges out on the horizon. Maybe you've got those uh, doctor's appointments, or you you see your kids and you're concerned about their where they're going and what's happening in their life and uh, you, you may see those things and you go God I don't know if I um, I, I don't know if I can make it and I don't want to tell you in your flesh you can't make it right but but God wanted to tell you a message if you trusted in him there's now no condemnation in you you're free from that guilt both now and forevermore forevermore secondly The unrighteous are righteous because of Jesus. The unrighteous are righteous because of Jesus. I want to tell you that that will bring um, a sense of royalty, but a sense of humility in you if you think about that. The unrighteous are righteous because of Jesus. You can wake up every morning going, there's no condemnation, I'm, I'm righteous. Because of Jesus. And, and in your failings and in your, your constant fumblings and failings and sins that you've committed, um, you no longer should go back to that identity of saying, oh, I'm just a sinner just like everybody else. No, you're not. You've been made righteous by the work of Jesus. And lastly, I want to share with you, I want to tease uh, a point that is to come. Chapter 8 Starts off with what? No condemnation. No condemnation. Skip down to the end of chapter 8. And as I say, the end of chapter 8, um, I want to say it's a pretty significant section of chapter 8. But I'll just stay towards the end. And I want to read to you from verse uh 37 through the end. Sorry, I didn't do this, but you guys have got Bibles, right? Uh, chapter 8, verses 37 through, th- through the end. It says this. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure uh, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because he says to us at the beginning of chapter 8 that there's no condemnation, there's also no separation from God for anything. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning and the blessing of your word God, I do ask that you would remind us of this over and over again, that, that we would not look to others to validate our sin, to validate whether we're going right or wrong, but we would look to you. And we would look to you and we would see ourselves as, as being sinners who have been found guilty, who deserve the punishment, the punishment of death. But as we look upon what Jesus accomplished in your plan that we would rejoice that there is now no condemnation because we are in Christ Jesus. God, I pray for those who are still struggling with uh, trusting in you. I ask that this would be their day and that they would embrace the good news of the gospel that's not found in them, but found in your son, Jesus, in the place of forgiveness, freedom, and no condemnation. God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.